God has spoken. Understand Asa Shama. Let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Father, I pray right now for your Spirit to move, to touch us, to move in our hearts. As we understand that we have been called by you to just live a life with you that is beyond imagination and beyond description, and is the blessed life. A life lived with you, a life lived for you, a life that matters, because every single person here matters. And I pray, oh God, we'd want that, we'd desire it, and I know how amazing it will be when we do it. So help us today use what we're about to talk about to move even closer to you and more, more, more true to the direction of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, without a doubt, we want to bless people. And, and all around us, I know that many of you are being sensitive to that. Uh, years ago, about a year and a half ago, actually, not years, a year and a half ago, we started a vision, a two-year vision here called 24-7. If you're new to us, that, that vision is this. Uh, it comes from Exodus 24-7 that says, all that the Lord has commanded me, we will. And the Hebrew word there is asa, asa, which means do with all our might. And we will shema, which means to understand completely. Now, the Bible teaches us something really cool. That in doing, we understand. In doing, we grow. Now, we don't do anything to obtain salvation or God's love. We get that. But in, in acting on faith, we grow in that. And we understand more why God would want us to do it. So that's the whole idea. Now, that premise is we'd be a 24-7 church, a completely committed church who loves God, who lives for God. All that he says we do with all our might, and then we understand what it means to live life. Now, now in saying that, there's a, some ideas that come out of it. One is, and if you have been a part of this, we want you to tune in to the power of the whisper. Uh, it says that God does speak to us today. It, in, in 1 Kings 19, God spoke in a whisper to Elijah. Uh, he speaks in a whisper to you and me. The Lord talks to us. The Lord wants to speak to you and guide you and direct you in a very personal, unique way because he intimately wants to be acquainted with you. And the Bible teaches us that. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Jeremiah 33.3, which says this, Call to me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things you do not know. Now grab hold of that. God says you and I are to call to him. And when we call to him, what will he do? He'll answer us. And then he'll tell you things. That's the life you're to live. So part of the reason in 24-7 we're doing this story is we're taking you through the Bible so you can see this is what the Bible teaches. That we live lives like that. Then we've taken this kind of pause, parenthesis moment in the story to talk about the blessed life. The blessed life in and of itself is found when you and I tune into God, when you and I are sensitive to God, when you and I allow God to speak to us. And God then wants you to live this amazing blessed life. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor is it ever entered into the heart of man. That's your imagination. All that God has prepared for those who love him. You catch this, God has all these amazing things prepared for you, prepared for you so that your life would be beyond imagination and beyond description. Then verse 10, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, those things are revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't keep them secret. God doesn't go, hey, if you come and find this, then you get blessed. <laughs> oh, sorry, you missed it. You know, he doesn't do that to you. God says, I tell you, but here's the thing, are we listening? Now, the blessed life is about listening. The story is about listening. 24-7 is about hearing and listening. And, and we want to do that. And when we do, God does things. Um, someone in our church did recently. Uh, we asked you to take a card, a blessed life card, pray over it, go out, and if God moved you to bless somebody. We're hearing story after story after story about this. But here's one I got from a woman named Nancy. And she wrote this. She said, I want to thank the angels 
that bought my husband and I dinner at Lone Star on Friday night, December 14th. We were stunned, to say the least. Why us? We have never experienced something like this before. We feel very blessed as the past five years have been a little rough, to say the least. We have been through cancer, job loss, deaths, and our oldest child taking us out of his life, and we could no longer see our beautiful grandson. This was a very special gift from God to have had two angels gift us like this. Thank you. Thank you, Crossroads. And um, you see, here's the thing you already know is that the blessed life is found in doing things like that, in giving. You see, what, if it, what does it mean to be godly? Well, if we're godly, we do what God would do. We act like he would act. And that means God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. When God loves, he gives. And if you and I are going to be the kind of people that are blessed people, living godly lives, we're going to be givers. We're going to be servers. We're going to do things for others. By the way, you already know this. The greatest blessing you can ever experience. The more blessed life is found in giving and not receiving. Even if you've never been to church before, I bet you know this verse. It, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. By the way, the, the, whoever did this from our church, I know is more blessed because they could have done that for someone else. And so here's the thing. You and I, when we are, are generous, when we're sensitive to God, when we're caring, then what happens? We're more blessed to give than receive. And the Lord wants that for you. Now, here's the key. I want to say this before we dig into John 12. The Lord wants it for you. Very often when we hear the idea of giving to God, we're like, well, why do I have to give? Well, ready, God's doing it for you. And as you learn the wonder of it and the joy of it and the spiritual discipline of it, you begin to grow into Christ-likeness and godliness, and you start living that more blessed life. Uh, in John chapter 12, we're about to look at something really incredible. It's a, a, a time, a very real moment where Jesus reveals to us two different kinds of attitudes and two different hearts. It's very intriguing because in this particular story, uh, we see someone who loves extravagantly and unabandoned. And we see someone who is selfish to the point of being a traitor. Both people in this story become famous. Maybe one becomes famous and one becomes infamous. But Jesus said these words. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, the woman in this story will be talked about in a good way because she's loving and caring and sensitive. Now, by the way, that her name is Mary. She's Mary, the sister of, of Martha and Lazarus. Now, it's interesting. Now we have another Mary. Here's why. Because we began the blessed life talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, uh, Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, was a very, very faithful person, the most blessed of all women. And she was someone who practiced to the hill what we call the immediate obedient principle, the I.O. principle. When the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, you will be overshadowed and have a child, her first reaction was, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Whatever God says to do, I'll do. Uh, when it came time for Jesus to do his first major miracle, his first sign, he was at a wedding feast, and, and Mary went to him and said, she said, we're out of wine. And Jesus said, woman, what does that have to do with me? And she said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now that's an I-O thing. That's immediate obedience. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, do it. And, and so she told him, do it. And so that's John 2, 5. And so Jesus said, go get six water pots and fill them up with water. And then dip it in and take it to the head waiter. And what happened is Jesus transformed water into wine. He took a moment that would have been a disaster for a family, humiliating, made it more joyful and more celebratory than ever. He took something ordinary like water and made it something extraordinary as wine. Now, are you ready for this? That's what happens when you and I are I.O., immediately obedient. What happens in that moment is we begin to move to that 1 Corinthians 2.9 level where it's beyond imagination. And God wants to do that for you. So the key is you and I say, whatever he wants me to do, do. When he moves in my heart, moves in my spirit, I say, all right, God, I'm going to do it. When his word directs me, I'm going to do it. So the first Mary we looked at did that. The second Mary will too. Now, now, to understand her, you have to understand some things about Mary before we get to the story. 
You see, the, the first time we really get a glimpse into who Mary is, is when Jesus has come to stay with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. He loved them. Oh, he loved them, and he loved being with them. And so he got there, and he shows up with the 12 apostles and maybe even some others. And so all of a sudden, Martha has to make dinner for all these people. Now, of course, it's not like today in time with microwave. I mean, this is a big deal. She's got to perform this, and she's slaving away in the kitchen, working as hard as she can, and she looks over, and Mary's not around. And where's Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So Martha has to do all the work, and Mary is just sitting there. And, and, and Martha's agitated by this. Now, now, here's what you need to understand. That this was not normal in this day. In those days and at that time, what happened is the men would all meet together and the women would be in the kitchen getting ready to serve the men. It was called the good old days. <laughs> yeah. I know some of you want to email me on that. It's Ronnie at Crossroads Church. Um, no, no, no. But that really was true. But Mary's not where she normally would be. She's sitting there doing nothing to help. All these people need to be fed. And then something happens. Now, before I tell you what we know for sure happened, let me tell you what I think happened. And you may not care, but I really think this. I think before we see Martha say what the Bible says she said, I have a feeling she was clanging the pots and doing everything to get noticed. Do you think she might have been? And then she finally can't stand it, and she comes out and says, Lord, don't you care? Now catch that. Don't you care that Mary has left me to do all this work and isn't helping me? And, and, and publicly, Mary's being rebuked, which is interesting, because you're about to see another place that happens. And Jesus stands up for her. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you worry about so many things, or you're troubled about so many things. Mary has chosen that which matters. One thing is needful, and that will not be taken away from her. By the way, are you ready? How many of us in this room, deep down, we don't like that story? Because we're worriers. Anybody else here a worrier? Are you, I am. Do any of you worry when no one else worries, and it actually makes you worry more because they don't get how bad it is? And they don't understand if we would just worry together, it would fix it, right? Because worrying always fixes it. But that's how worriers are. And, and I'm one, by the way. And Mary wasn't. She just loved Jesus and she had her priorities straight. Jesus was first. Jesus mattered most. And his words were more important than anything else. She knew that. So the next time we see her is when Lazarus dies. And Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. And he waits three days to come be with them. Martha doesn't understand it. Lord, if you had been here, you could have raised him. And Jesus said, you're about to see the hand of God move. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Jesus knew he would raise Lazarus. And Jesus also cared about how they felt. He stood in front of the tomb and he cried, not because... He was going to show them something. It's because he really cared about how they felt. He would raise Lazarus. They would get him back. They would experience victory and celebration. But the pain they felt, the hurt they felt, the disappointment they felt, all of that mattered to him. Here's what I don't want you to miss in that whole amazing moment. We see how God feels about you, and we feel, see how God feels about me. He cares. God cries. God grieves for you when you're in pain and hurt. And, and I want you to never miss that. Even though he knows he'll get you to heaven one day, even though he knows he'll do, he, he still cares how you feel in the moment. God cares that much about you. So anyway, then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And now, in John chapter 12, we're a week ahead of Jesus dying. He has made a final journey towards Jerusalem. He has stopped here to eat. He has stopped here knowing that very, very soon he will be betrayed. He'll be beaten. They'll rip the beard from his face. They'll hit him repeatedly over and over. They'll, they'll take a crown of thorns and stick it in his head and scourge him, mock him, and spit on him. 
and then they'll hang him on a cross. And he knows it's about to happen. He knows the pain he's about to feel, but he also knows something even worse. Not only will he endure the agony of the cross, but he will have the sins of mankind laid up on him in a moment. Every sin, every pain, every time you and I have done something wrong and our gut churned, that from you and from me on him, and the stress of it will rip his heart. And he knows it. Later after this, he would go to the garden of Gethsemane and he would cry out to the Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please let it. But not my will, your will be done. He would sweat drops of blood because he's so stressed and burdened by what's about to happen. He's already told the apostles repeatedly on the journey this will occur. They don't get it. And he's in this house setting. His heart is breaking. He knows what's about to come. The question is, who gets how the Lord feels? John chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. By the way, Mary's not around. Did you notice that? Verse 3. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard. Now, this perfume was so expensive, it was worth a year's wages. In other words, uh, 300 denarii back then equated in our day and time at $75,000. She takes a, a pound of perfume worth $75,000 and anoints the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Uh, by the way, the reason it's important, it says the house was filled, it shows that it was genuinely that great. It was that wonderful. It was that valuable. And so she breaks it over his feet and she gets down and she takes her hair and begins wiping his feet. By the way, something that would not be done in that day and time. But she knows how he feels. She knows how he hurts. And how Jesus feels and how he hurts matters to her. And she can't help but to do something extravagant and loving and caring without abandon, without caring what anybody else said, because she cares about her Lord, our Lord. And she's sensitive to what's actually happening. And so we see that in here. Now notice what happens in verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Do you realize what he's just done? He's just insulted her, rebuked her in front of everybody. As she's doing this, I'm sure everyone's watching, and he loudly says it. Now, I think it's important to note Matthew does not single out Judas as saying this. John does. Matthew says, and the disciples, meaning him and all the others, were rebuking her. In other words, when Judas did this, they all backed him. And, and they're seeking to humiliate her and embarrass her. And they don't get the moment. Uh, verse 8 says, now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief as he had the money box and he used to pilfer what was put into it. Verse 7 is key. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone. Let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you. You do not always have me. Now, did you catch what happened there? Jesus defends her. Jesus stands up for her. Jesus points out what she just did was right. By the way, then, according to Matthew, he would say, and in all the world, whenever the gospel is preached, she'll be spoken of. Because she got it. You see, what we see here is the revealing of two different kinds of hearts. Judas, the betrayer, the traitor, had a selfish heart. You got to ask the question, why did it bother Judas so much that Mary would love Jesus so much and give so much? Why did it eat at him? I mean, it wasn't his, was it? And the reality is, whenever someone loves with that kind of love, it causes selfish people to react to it. And, and so what do selfish people do? They do what Judas did. A selfish heart insults others. Did you catch that? A selfish heart insults others. 
you know, they don't rejoice with others. They don't get excited for others. They aren't thrilled that other people get and that others give. Selfish people insult others. And so Judas had no problem insulting Mary. By the way, have you caught what else happened here? And I bet you have. Judas thinks he's more intelligent than Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't rebuke her. So Judas thinks he actually knows more than Jesus. Now, now we see that all the time. We see giving, caring people insulted by those who don't want to be giving and caring. Uh, Putting them down, attacking them, uh, trying to belittle what they've done. If you are generous and caring and loving, there will be people who will take shots at you. But don't ever let it stop you. By the way, the church, when, we, when, when you give to the church and you love the church, as the Bible says to do, by the way, as Jesus says to do, and other people think they know more than Jesus and say, don't give to the church. By the way, I want to say I believe that's insulting. The church gets insulted all the time. I mentioned it last week. But let me give you one. Uh, have you ever heard someone say, you know what? All the church does is waste money. You ever hear that? Do you think that might be insulting? Now, are there those who abuse that? You, you, there's no doubt. But I want to tell you that's the few and not the many. Uh, uh, I know from my friends that, who are pastors of churches and other churches, the amazing things they do for God. I know they don't sit around just seeking to waste resources. We take very seriously the resources that God has entrusted us through your faithfulness. And we want to maximize those in every way we can to help people come close to God and and to be used to create a a real, real difference in the cause of Christ. And I want to tell you, let me just say this, that if you're a part of Crossroads, I want you to know we do take that seriously here. We believe God has called us to certain things that we ought to take the resources and maximize them towards. And the most important one is what? The cause of people having a passionate commitment to Christ. We want to make sure we're teaching you and and moving in your heart and causing you to know God better. And we devote extreme amounts of time and money to that. Now you might ask, is that right to do? What does Jesus say? Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. See, if we do not care for our own church family, we would not be honoring Christ the way we should. We should care for the sheep here. And by the way, when this church is a healthy church, we can do even more for others. But it starts with doing things for the Lord. We also are a big part of the cause. Man, we just think and pray and ask God how we can maximize ourselves to reach lost people. You know, to reach children. You know, when you think about the tragedy of children, in this area alone, there's around 20,000 children in the Corona Norco School District, and only 2,000 are attending church. So we devote time and resources to reaching them. I believe that honors God. By the way, if anybody ever says that's a waste, I don't think you know the heart of God. Uh, uh, We do other things like that. But then we also care for people. I mean, think about it. Uh, uh, On on. Many months of the year, we're feeding over 400 families in this area. Uh, we, we were instrumental in helping the Corona Norco Rescue Mission begin so that people, men and women, could go there and get a future and a hope. And we're watching people not only go there, they're giving their lives to Christ, being baptized. And we just recently saw a young father be reunited with his son and get his first home that he's ever had before because of the ministry of that place. Uh, we, we were responding immediately when we could in New York. When the hurricane hit because of your faithfulness, we immediately partnered up with a wonderful church called New Hope. And, and, and you know what? I want to tell you something. Crossroads, because of your faithfulness, do you realize this? There are people right now in New York City whose electricity is on, whose houses are clean and dry, who now have blankets and the other necessities of life because you were able to respond in the moment faster than the government ever could. And while we're here, there's a team from Crossroads there doing ministry like that right now in New York. Now, now I want you to think about that. So whenever it says it's a waste, is it a waste for what we're doing in Africa to care for those orphans? To care for children that would be orphaned? To make sure they have something? Or how about this? We're partnering with the ministry in India that's not just reaching thousands, but thousands upon thousands of people for Jesus Christ in a dark area. But we're also seeing them get medical care and food and hope and love, and education, and restoration, and we're watching that happen, and it keeps being magnified. See, God's doing that, and by the way, because of your faithfulness, we're about to honor something we told you we would do. 
this spring, this spring, my wife Pam is going to go with Mike Long and Lisa Mitchison, who's the head of our global outreach department, and they're going to be traveling to Indonesia because we're going to start doing some amazing things in Indonesia with Christians there to bring a future and hope. They're also going to go to visit Barry McMurtry because we're supporting his church there, and then they're going to go to the Philippines to the Village of Hope. The Village of Hope is an area of land that was secured so that children, girls, and boys who are caught up in sex trafficking and are rescued have a place to go so they get counseling. Because you know, don't you? You can't just take a child who's gone through that and throw them back into life. They need counseling, intense counseling. They need education. They need the Lord. They need care. And they need protection so no one can come and get them. And you know what? Because of you, they're going to go explore the idea that we will build the first phase of a village like that to rescue children. So you're doing it. You really are. And whenever anybody says we waste, I want to tell you, I, I don't know why. Who? I mean, what are they looking at? And, and, and my point is this, is we're just one church. There's so many other faithful churches making a difference. Uh, uh, and, and, and so when we do that for the Lord and we do that for others, I, I got to tell you, I get excited. And let me say this, and I, you have to agree with this. There's no one person in this room that can do what we all do together. Isn't that true? But we as a church family, Mary did something extravagant, something loving and something caring and selfish person insulted her. Selfish people do that. How about this? A selfish person robs God. You saw, look at it again. In verse 6, why did Judas say this? He said it because he's robbing God. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. By the way, I want to tell you, you might say, well, I didn't go rob from Jesus' money box, but if you were here last week or you've ever studied Scripture, what does it say in Malachi verse three, chapter 3, verse 8? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me because you say, how have we robbed you? And here's God's answer in tithes and offerings. The tithe is the first 10% that comes into my, any kind of resource that comes in, I give that back to God, the first 10%. Offerings are what I give over and above. And God says, you're robbing me. Judas was robbing. People are robbing God today. By the way, people who rob God tend to claim and insult the Lord, insult Christians who love the Lord, who are givers, and insult generous people. A selfish heart, by the way, is not sensitive to the Lord. Judas and the apostles did not have a clue how Jesus felt. By the way, I think it's very interesting that it was only one woman who caught and was in, in, in tune enough with Jesus to catch how he felt. Uh, I'm going to say something that I think is true, and maybe it's going to be sexist, but I have found over the years that men tend to be oblivious and women tend to be more sensitive. Is that true? Yeah, it really is. Um, I, I think I'm going to say something in a minute to show how right I am, but, but here's the thing, is that it makes sense to me that in that moment of time, she's the only one who caught how he felt and cared about how he felt. Here's a question I want to ask you. Do we, do I, do I really care how Jesus feels and God feels? So I'm going to ask it to you. Do you really care? He does feel. He does feel. I mean, when I was first a Christian, all I prayed was, God, give me this. God, give me that. God, bless me. God, protect me. And by the way, let me say this. It's not wrong to play that, pray that prayer at any stage of your life. He wants you to. But do we really care about how he feels? Do we ever talk to him about what matters to him? And if you're going, does he really feel like that? Well, let me, let me give you some thoughts that come right out of the book of Revelation. Jesus said, I wish. I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you either loved me or hated me. But you're lukewarm. And then he says, it causes me to feel this sick feeling inside. Now, why is that? Because God loves you that much. When you and I are apathetic to God, apathetic to the one who loves you more than you can imagine, forget him, ignore him, don't really want to honor and serve him? You know what God says? That hurts. Now let me say this as clearly as I can. You, you, matter to God so much, you're loved by God so much, you can hurt God's feelings. 
He's opened himself up to you like that. You can hurt God's feelings. And he has feelings. It matters. Jesus said later on, I stand at the door and I knock. Anyone who would open up to me, I would come in and I would be with him. You know what he's saying? Don't push me out. I care enough about you. I'm knocking. I'm wanting. I, I desire for you to open up to me. You know what that means? He cares that much for you. You could not understand even now in any way to fathom how much God loves you and cares about you. But I want you to know he does. And when we begin to grasp hold of that, we begin to understand that that feeling is real. That relationship's to be real. Mary had it. She was in tune. And she knew the priority of having Jesus first. See, she had a generous heart. She was willing to do something extravagant and loving without abandon. Take that, that perfume that was so valuable, maybe it was worth anything else she had. It might have been more likely than not was the most valuable thing she had in her home. And she broke it over him. It was gone in a moment just to show love to him. She had that kind of extravagant, unabandoned love out of God who she knew loved her like that. And she would never turn away from it. By the way, the Bible is filled with people who are that way. David was that way. David was that way. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. And in 2 Samuel 24, 24, we see one of many places David had that kind of love. Uh, he knew that it was time for him to offer a burnt offering to God. Now, whenever you're studying the Bible... A burnt offering is the most expensive offering. It's the one that costs the most. It's an offering of total dedication. And he was going to do the most expensive offering imaginable to God. And then God showed him, I want you to do it on this particular piece of ground. So David went to the man who owned it, and he said, sell it to me. And the man said, no, I'm not going to sell it to you. No, I'll give it to you. You remember what David said? 2 Samuel 24, 24. Surely... I will never offer the Lord my God anything which costs me nothing. I would never do that. I, I shared it before, but let me tell you again. Uh, Mark Driscoll was coming to our church, and, and, and this happens to me a lot. They sent me a copy of his book before it was published. It's called a pre-published version. And, and just recently, I got some others. Uh, so I got the book, and it's on marriage, and I'm looking at it. And I knew Mark was coming. And, and what happened was some of the people on staff said, hey, uh, can we look at it? And so I started passing it around. Well, when Mark finally got here, my wife Pam said, hey, would you buy me one of those books? And I said, oh, yeah, I'll get you one. So what happened is I come walking in the living room, and I said, here you go. And she looks at it and looks up at me. She said, what's this? I said, Pam, it's your book. It's the one you wanted. I listened. See, I listened. I was in tune. She said, it says pre-published. I said, yeah, because of my importance, they send me those every now and then. <laughs> she goes, so you didn't buy it. And she said, it looks like other people have read it. Chuck, did you read it? Which, by the way, obviously I did it. Um, it's on marriage and I'm doing this. Uh, and I said, no. And she said, did you let other people have it? I go, oh, yeah, well, we passed it around the staff. And she goes, this is what you gave me. And she starts to cry. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. I mean, it's a pre-published copy. Not everyone gets one of those. And she looks at me and said, I didn't want that. I wanted you to buy me one. I wanted you to give it to me. I wanted you. And here's the thing. She was right. It cost me nothing. So what did it matter? By the way, when I told that story a few, few months ago, I had a bunch of men come up afterwards going, I still don't get it. What's wrong with it? <laughs> Guys, <laughs> we're in it together. That's why there should be grace and unconditional love from the women in our life. But David would never do that. Uh, by the way, another person with extravagant love was a woman we do not know by name, but Jesus does. In Luke 21, it says this, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they out of their surplus put in the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. By the way, a selfish person would go, that's wrong. She should never have done that. You know what Jesus said? That's right. Now, again, you should only do this if God moves you, but I want to tell you what Jesus said. That was extravagant. That was over the top. That was incredible. That was loving. All the other people are doing this, and Jesus himself is watching. 
and caring about what she does. Because God loves people who love like that and love him like that. Uh, um, we see that all the time. Uh, Jesus said it really is a matter of a heart. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he said it comes down to how much we love. And it says in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Mary loved in such a way that she gave her treasure. Uh, the woman who was a widow loved in such a way she gave, David gave. And by the way, the Bible teaches we do give. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you something that maybe not everyone here knows. The Bible says we give to God in three ways. Now, you probably know two of them, but are you ready? There's three ways financially we give to God. And I want to make sure you grab those today and hopefully you jot them down. Uh, number one is the tithe. The tithe. 36 times in the Bible, 36 times in the Bible, it says we tithe to God. It's a call to a tithe. By, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it teaches it. Uh, matter of fact, in Luke eleven forty two, Jesus said these words, you should tithe. And tithe means you give the first 10% of anything comes into God. And by the way, the Bible teaches it's his, that everything we have is his. So we return that to him. A recent study showed that 95% of people who call themselves Christians in the United States do not tithe. 95% disobey God in this. The question then would be, where's their heart? And God wants us to tithe. So that's the first thing we do. Uh, the second one is called an offering. Now the offering is what you give above and beyond the tithe based on how God's blessed you. So if you really believe God's blessing you, then you would give an offering beyond the tithe. Now, are you ready for this? The word offering is used 1,083 times in the Bible, always in giving to God. Now, the tithe is used 36, and you shouldn't ignore that. The offering is talked about directly 1,083 times. Do you understand that God is actually saying, hey, that's my love language. That's how you show love to me. Now, beyond the 1,083 times the word is used, it's actually in other places by premise. And in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord from your wealth is the, is the, is the offering. And the first of all your produce is tithe. And God said, I want you to do both. And so we give to God through the tithe and through the offering. But are you ready for this? We also give to God through what's called the extravagant offering. There are certain times in our lives where God says, I want you to go above and beyond. Mary did that when she broke the, the nard, when she broke the perfume. That was extravagant. And there are certain times we see in Scripture, the building of the tabernacle, the building of the temple, uh, a need of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, there was times that people gave extravagant offerings to God. Why? Because he loved him with extravagance. 1 King 3, 4 says that Solomon just was so in love with God, he gave 1,000 burnt offerings to God. Uh, and, and the widow in Luke 21 who had two mice, she gave all she had to God. Now you're ready for this, and I would encourage you to turn to 1 Chronicles 29. But in 1 Chronicles 22 and 1 Chronicles 29, are you adjusting for our day and time, David gave $20 billion to God. If you take the, the income back then and the value of it and bring it in today's time, above and beyond his tithe and other offerings, David gave $20 billion to God. That's extravagant. Uh, he did it because he loved the Lord. He did it because he, he couldn't contain what he wanted to see God do. And listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 3. David says this, moreover, now catch these words, in my delight. Moreover, in my delight in the house of my God. You know why? He loved God. He delighted in doing this. He says, the treasure I have of gold and silver, I give to the house of my God over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple. And he goes off to name part of what ends up adding to that $20 billion. He said, I just want to do over and above. I can't contain myself because I love God so much. At the very end of that verse, though, it says this, verse 5, Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? 
Now, the word consecrate means to be set apart. It means to be completely committed and devoted. And so David said, I've done this. Who else wants to be consecrated? To be consecrated, what did you need to do? You needed to obey the whisper of God and give to him an extravagant offering over and above. By the way, let me share this, that next weekend, we're going to have our time of the miracle offering. Uh, We want that to be a day where some amazing things occur. Uh, I've asked you to do this. And by the way, all around you and the chairs around you is an envelope like this I'm going to ask you to take with you today. And and what you do is you you do what we want you to do. You pray and say, Lord, you tell me what to do. I had a husband come to me and say, my wife and I have been praying and we're $100 off in what what we're supposed to give. So should we give 100 more or 100 less? And I said, no, you should pray more. (laughs) Pray more, that's what you ought to do. Uh, But here's the thing is, is, is we want you to pray and whatever God puts on your heart over and above your tithe, you say, all right, God, I'm gonna do it. And what's going to happen that day is we talked about it last week. We believe that God is gonna break the spirit of mammon. We also believe, are you ready for this? What did it say right there? That you're gonna be consecrated. And we're gonna ask you next week during a time of worship to come to one of the six pots and watch God do an incredible transformation in you and maybe in your family, but in your heart and your life for sure. And to take an ordinary thing and make it extraordinary and take you to a whole new level. But here's the point. As you and I do this, what we're doing is we're consecrating ourselves to God. We're saying our heart is yours. Our our mind is yours. Our life is yours. And we're being set apart. And that's what David saw happen. That's what we want you to do. And uh, notice what happens here in verse 6. Then the rulers of the father's household and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds and the overseers of the king's work offered willingly. They just got involved. They couldn't contain themselves. They rushed to offer. And when that happened, David was so moved. I'm going to have you skip down to verse 14. He was so moved. He prayed this incredible prayer. Listen to what he said about that when he and and the family, the, the believers that he was a part of gathered together with that kind of unity and passion. He said, but who am I? Who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? Who are we that we get to do something like this? For all things come from you and your hand. Did you catch that? God, this, it's all yours anyway. See, that's what's going to happen when we all, all agree here. It's all his anyway. And it goes, we have given you. Verse 15, we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. Oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build your house and for your holy name, it is from your hand and all is yours. It's all yours. Why are we doing this? Because it's all his anyway. I'm not asking you to give your money. I'm asking you to give what God says is his. And as you do that, as God moves, as God touches then I want to see what happens in your life and my life when we as a church family do this. I could tell you what happened back then. Look at verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. Then joy took off, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. Then it says, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. They were wholehearted. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Did you catch that? They're rejoicing, and their hearts are completely devoted to God because they've consecrated themselves. I want to tell you, when we started 24-7, the elders of the church, we fasted and prayed. We said, God, what do you want us to do? Who do you want us to be? And I can tell you what happened. We've told you before, but let me remind you again. The Lord put it on our hearts that we wanted this church to be anything but lukewarm. That our goal is we'd be a church family that loves God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Now, in doing that, you know what that means? We'd be a church family that meets with God every day and we're not apathetic. We'd be a church family that that loves God's word and honors God's word and studies God's word and obeys God's word. We'd be a church family that, that, that chooses to take steps of faith with God and watch him do great things. We'd be a church family that has a fire for God and a light for God that shines out in the midst of the darkness. We'd be a church family that when God looks at us, he would see us completely committed, totally his with passion and with heart for the Lord because of everything he is to us. Let me ask you a question. Don't you want to be a part of a church like that? Don't you want to? And that's our desire. That's our dream. That's our hope. And by the way, if we will be that way, then our hearts will be holy his. That's what this is all about. 
you and I being so in tune to God, so committed to him, so in love with him, and knowing his love like you never have before. So that's what we're doing, and, and we're moving together, and I believe God already is stirring that. I've always loved this church. I could not be more in love with what's going on right now, but we are going to see God do amazing things. Now, by the way, that's what it's always all about. It's always all about you and I being in a very real and intimate and personal relationship with him. And, and I want to tell you right now, everything we're talking about has to do with do you know the Lord? Are you a person who hears from God? And if you say, well, that doesn't happen to me, here again is the question, why not? It's supposed to. I don't have God leading and guiding me. Why not? He wants to. He does. This room is filled with thousands of people that God is speaking to and leading their lives. Why not you? He wants it for you. And, and here's what has to happen. For that to occur, you have to give yourself to God. You have to open up to him. Remember, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open up to me, if anyone would open up, I would come in and I would be with him. I'm going to ask you today, let me ask the question, is your heart totally his? Maybe even a, a better question, believe it or not, is this. Do you know him? Mary knew him. Do you know him? Because he wants you to know him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, that we would know him. Do you know him? And if not, I promise you he wants you. And what you need to do is open up your heart to him. So if you're brand new, if you've never done this before, the way you come into a relationship with Jesus is by saying to him, come in. He said, I stand at the door and I knock. And what you need to do is whisper a prayer and say, Lord, then come in. I want to give my life to you. I want to give my heart to you. I know you died on the cross to cleanse me from all sin. And I want to be cleansed. To heal me from our hurt. And I want to be healed and to free me. Free me from all those things that keep me in bondage. And God wants you free. So today, if that's not you, I'm going to ask you in a moment. I'm going to lead a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Just to whisper it right where you're at and begin this process. So if you've never done this before, I hope you do. Today, there are some of you who are Christians. And you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. You need to tell him, you know what, I, I've been holding back or I've wandered away. And I want to come home. And the Lord wants you. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you've been. He wants you and loves you. But he wants all of you. And today, if that's not you, if you're not completely devoted, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer and make the walk also. And today, if you're hurting, today, if there's pain, loneliness, if you feel like you've been let down over and over, I'm going to ask you to open up to the Lord and let him heal you. And not let those things that either were done to you or how people treated you or turned on you, don't let those define your life. Don't let those dictate who you are. Come to a God who can make you new and clean, alive and strong again. And he's going to have you feel good feelings. Come to him. So right now we're going to pray. And if you need to say yes to God, we're going to ask you to pray with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, my Father in heaven, our Abba Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would make himself known to us because we know he's here. We pray, oh God, that your spirit would touch each one of us. And God, I pray you'd really, truly touch the ones who need you, the ones who need to open up to you. Some for the first time, Lord, and I pray that they would sense right now it's their moment. I pray they would know there's something bigger than them and greater than them, but it's you and you love them. And so, Lord, I pray right now for a young guy who his grandmother used to take him to church. And now that he's gotten older, he's not even sure why he's here, but he remembers what she taught him. And today is the day for him to make this his faith and, and for him to be in a true relationship with and it's been hard for him to get here, but I pray he would. Father, I want to pray right now for a person who's sitting here and 
they just told someone they're an atheist. And in their heart and in their mind, they know you love them. There's questions, but they know. And I pray right now they're going to say yes to you. And I pray, oh Lord, for a couple that's here today, and the wife loves you with everything she has, and her husband's struggling. And Lord, you want him to let go and to surrender. You have such a plan for him as a husband, as a father, as a man of God. And I think deep down he knows it. And I pray he's going to open up. And I pray right now for a person who's sitting here and they're hurting. He feels he's never had a real friend. And time and again he's tried. He's wondered why, and today it's going to change. So, Lord, I pray for every need, every person, and you know by name, and you know how they're feeling, and you know you want them, and I pray they're going to open up to you. So, Lord, let this be their moment. I pray they'll say yes. I'm going to ask that we keep praying, and I'm going to ask you right now, if you're right with God, would you really start praying for those who need to make this decision? And if you're ready... Maybe you're not even ready. Something inside said you just got to do this. Are you, to give yourself to God, to open up to Him, or to come back to Him, or to find His healing, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. So right now, right now, if that's you, and you know it, you sense it, or you're ready for it, or you're not even ready for it, but something's driving you to it, pray this prayer with me. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin, to heal me from hurt, and to free me from all those things that have kept me from you and kept me from being who I should be. So I say yes. Yes, I want you. And yes, I want the life you have for me. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and take me and make me completely yours. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, praise God.